Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Mason Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast that knows there are still faint glimmers of civilization left in this barbaric slaughterhouse that was once known as humanity. Indeed, that's what we provide in our own modest, humble, insignificant, out of hell with it. I'm Jared Stormer of MazenBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazenBrew.com. Andy, you male Caucasian taxpayer in these United States of America, how are you, sir? I am good, my man. I really appreciate the Grand Budapest Hotel illusion to begin the podcast. I got a fresh Aiden Hutchinson jersey with the Detroit Lions and Honolulu Blue dripped on me today. I'm feeling good. Looking good, sir. It's a good look on you, uh, Hutch in the 97, man. I wanted it so bad and to see it actually come to fruition. It brings me an immense amount of joy. Glad that you're rocking it. And uh, we will start to talk a little bit more about some of these Wolverines in the NFL here now that we've seen a large enough sample size. But we've got some Michigan football to cover today. A lot to talk about. Let's get into some quick hits, sir. This one is a pretty big one. News came out, what was this, two days ago that Paul Christ is out at Wisconsin after an embarrassing loss to the fighting Bielmas, the Polish sausage king of Illinois, in which Wisconsin only mustered two yards rushing. Jim Leonard's taken over for the rest of the season, essentially a seven-game job interview. Um, This is It caught a lot of people by surprise, me being one of them. What were your thoughts on Paul Chris being let go at Wisconsin? 
I was shocked that it happened during the season. I really thought they'd wait till the end of the year. I don't like in-season moves like this. I don't like that Jim Leonard is having like a coaching tryout. Like you, you know what he can bring to the table, and I think it's better if he has a fresh start than the whole off-season program to build it the way he wants to. Um, but you had the best point of anybody that I listened to where you said, I think it's a telling sign when opposing teams want your defensive coordinator more than they want your head coach. And that's honestly the best defense I've heard regarding the situation. Right. We mentioned the Nebraska job a few weeks ago, and my pick for them was Jim Leonard. So this is a guy that other schools are kind of sniffing around on and like, hey, what's going on with him? He's young. That defense has definitely been the the strongest part of that Wisconsin team, even when they did have those rushing attacks that were pretty vaunted. So, yeah, if you're if you've got this guy that everybody wants and you don't hear anybody asking around about Paul Christ, you know, maybe they felt the need to make that move. Give him this job interview. Now, the second the back half of the schedule for Wisconsin is much easier. They could easily still turn around and make a bowl game. And if that's the case, if they perform better in the second half than they did in the first half, which I expect him to do, this job is probably all but his. So this is a weird one in that I don't really know who else to even look at other than Jim Leonard for this job. I think there'd be one other guy, and I, I know they want to jump on it early, but Lance Leopold, I believe, is from Madison. I don't know if he graduated from Wisconsin. He's the Kansas head coach right now. He is a name that's been talked about in those circles. That would be an interesting one. Uh, we kind of joked about a reunion reunion between Brett Bielma and Wisconsin. I think there's still some bad blood there. I don't think that would happen. But a lot of people are eyeing Bielma like Bielma eyes a platter of kielbasa at Thanksgiving. So, I mean, <laughs> somebody's going to pick him up after a 4-1 and one start with Illinois. But, yeah, the, uh, the Leopold, that is an interesting one. There's certainly, like, no shortage of interesting coaching candidates. Uh, Nebraska absolutely has to get this right. And for Wisconsin, you're kind of in danger here. you got to be a little bit careful because if this goes badly right on the, the verge of realignment with USC and UCLA coming in, UCLA looking pretty good, by the way, right now, if all of a sudden, you know, you get put into a group with them and it gets a lot tougher out there and you're recruiting against those schools like Wisconsin could fall into the Nebraska trap uh, pretty quickly here. And, and it could go like south rather than getting back up onto the level of where they were. So there are they're a little bit on the razor's edge here. Definitely a program I'm going to be watching just because of how dominant they've been in the West over the last decade. Yeah, the Nebraska comparison is apt, I think, because when they uh, parted ways with Bo Pelini, you know, like everyone knows he never won less than nine games there, and they've just struggled ever since. And with Paul Christ, even last year, they won eight or nine games, were competitive down the stretch, and he clearly would have had a chance to turn this around with how easy the schedule gets. Uh, star tailback Braylon Allen tweets out like support for him about like how no one in the locker wanted him gone. So again, just such a weird move. And you're right. They better be careful. Otherwise, they could rue the day they got rid of Paul Christ. Yeah, it's interesting that we brought up the Nebraska comparison. His record almost identical to Bo Pelini's when he was let go. So, you know, the grass is always greener or not always greener um, saying that kind of, you know, Nebraska has made famous. You just got to be careful with with that if you're Wisconsin, though. I do like Jim Leonard. I do think that you're going to keep enough continuity. I mean, does he bring in a new offense this late in the game? Probably not. It's probably going to be a lot more of the same. But that's probably your coach at Wisconsin moving forward. So you've got two uh, open positions as of right now in the Big Ten. That's going to bear watching moving forward. Um, all right. Other quick hits. Ryan Davis, Greg Shiano. We're going to talk a little bit about this game, but uh, it was 49 to 10. 
Ohio State is absolutely cruising versus Rutgers, and they attempt a fake punt. And Greg Schiano did not seem too enthused by that move at the end of this game. There were some MFers exchanged by the look of it. These two dudes served on staff together at Ohio State. No love lost. I mean, Ryan Day seems thoroughly unlikable, but what's your takeaway from this exchange at the end of the Ohio State Rutgers game? God, this was the perfect response to such a Bush League move. Faking the punt up 49-10. I don't care if the grass was wide open and that's his read. You punt the ball up like that. You just you have respect for someone you worked with, you had that camaraderie with. It's like you went to battle with, and you're going to do that to him. So respect Greg Schiano for running across the field, breaking up the players' fight, and then turning around to MF wanting all the smoke from Ryan Day. I'm taking Greg Schiano minus like, 475 in that fight by the way and no it was awesome it's appropriate response and it was just such a just a bad look for ryan day and ohio state so number one seeds if uh all the big 10 coaches are fighting shiano fitzgerald both one seeds right I want no part of Pat Fitzgerald. But honestly, also Brett Bielema, if there's some ribs or Smoky Joes behind me, like he's going to pulverize me, Greg Schiano, and I mean, whoever else. Yeah, you don't get in between a uh, mother bear and her cubs, and you don't get in between some brisket and Brett Bielema. Those are kind of the rules of nature. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. Greg Schiano would absolutely pulverize Ryan Day. It just adds to the Ryan Day is unlikable narrative. And it, it's certainly interesting to watch. Like the you mentioned something off air about obviously Harbaugh has some respect for for certain coaches more so than others. Maybe these two don't really have a lot of respect for each other based on that exchange that I saw. So, uh, you know, we love all the drama. So I'm absolutely here for that. Uh, next quick hit. It's official, people. Penn State will be at noon. That's your maze out. That means Michigan State is more than likely at night. I don't think it's been officially announced yet. But you can pretty much put that in pen. This is the incorrect decision. I think we both agree. We do. And you and I were I had long conversations about this because it interferes with our plans because we're going to the Michigan State game and we're you know we're double pulling the double double, going to the Lions game the next day in Detroit. It's frustrating because we want the Michigan State game with, you know, no shenanigans, no Tom Fuller. Let's have it at noon. Let's get it done. Weird things happen at night. Also, I do understand the argument why they did it this way with Penn State being the far superior team from what we've seen so far this season. So you want to have that team at noon. You want to get no distractions, nothing like that. And then you just want to embarrass Michigan State like you think you're going to in primetime in front of God and the whole country. A lot of this has to come down to the primetime matchups because sometimes Michigan doesn't have say in when like they need to do their night game because they're like, well, we're sorry. That's the thing people are going to tune into. And both Michigan and Michigan State are huge draws to the like the nationally televised audience. So that could be a part of it. Um, as far as just gamesmanship, I think it makes way more sense to take Penn State, put that at night as the maze out, just because that environment's going to be insane. It's a little bit earlier in the year. The weather's not going to be as cold, less of a risk, still some risk of running into weird weather conditions. So I would have done that. Um, and then just made a standard, you know, noon game versus Michigan state. You can make that a maze out too, but now you've got at night versus Michigan state, not a maze out, but I think the crowd is going to probably try to push for it to be a maze out anyway. I know you, I, and your girlfriend and, and whoever else comes with us, we're probably going to be dressed in maize for that one. So it is just a little weird, like conceptually how it all worked out. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. I just would have done it a little bit differently. <laughs> 
that's exactly what it boils down to, man. Like you look at last year, for example, we had the Washington game. Uh, that was a night game. You had Indiana was a night game. You had Ohio State at noon. Like everyone's like, it's a noon game. People won't be ready for it. Penn State's probably going to come in undefeated. Michigan, God willing, will also be undefeated. I guarantee you, everyone in the greater Ann Arbor area in the United States will be up for that game wearing maize there the environment will be awesome same thing at the michigan state game like you don't need to wear a color for it to be a, like a hostile environment i will be at the penn state game now as well so i'm like super pumped for that now it's like noon maize out like here we go probably two undefeated teams game day is going to take a long hard look at that one if game day is not there i don't know what they're doing so that's going to be a really exciting one. Um, that is just right over the horizon. I can't wait to talk about that one. We've got an opponent in between that we're going to cover in this pod. But, man, that one's just peeking at you. Um, Tom Brady watch. He has officially lawyered up, people. Him and Giselle appear headed for a divorce. Uh, I don't expect any color or nutrition or health to return to his cheeks until these di- divorce proceedings are over. Now, the positive of this is he can play till he's 71 and no one can stop him. It's a very weird move that you'd rather play the Falcons twice a year than be married to Giselle. But I mean, I'm praying for our boy, man. It's not great. Uh, I'll take the supermodel and uh, cushy life of living down in Costa Rica. But, you know, I'm not Tom Brady. And maybe that's why I just don't have that dog in me. But uh, when having the dog in you goes wrong, maybe is coming back for this season. I guess if he wins the Super Bowl, he'll prove us all wrong. But I don't know. It's it's tough to do that when home ain't right. So praying for our boy Tommy. Uh, last quick it we mentioned at the end of the broadcast last week, the Sklar brothers, friends of the pod, will be returning to this podcast the week of the Michigan State game. So that'll be uh, the Thursday before Michigan State. Looking forward to having those guys on certified ball knowers. Like when we first had them on, we were like, oh, you know, you know, media guys will we'll keep these questions pretty basic. But then they're in there talking about like Zeke Barry and cover two man schemes. And we're just like, oh, boy, like, what is this? What's going on here? These guys know more than we do. It completely caught us off guard when he dropped like Zeke Barry in there. We're like, oh, like you like really do follow along and like stay up to date because you know everybody says that you know like well I pay attention to Michigan. It's like you know you kind of just like casually do. You know you have a life. You're a busy guy, and these guys are celebrities, so it's like you know they're kind of paying attention. No, they are grinding tape, grinding podcasts. I can't wait to talk to them again about this season. Yeah, really looking forward to that one. That's the last quick hit. Let's get on to Iowa, sir. 27-14 on the road at Kinnick, a place where top five teams go to die. This was a patient, road-grading, workman-like victory in a place that we haven't had much success either, just in Harbaugh era and going back even further. JJ keeps the offense on schedule, avoided turnovers. You ride Blake Corum and Jake the make, and your defense stands up tall when they had to. Let's get into this, man. Uh, we're going to start breaking these down with a little bit more of a, a, an agenda here. So let's start with the defense. Talk about what you saw from the defense against Iowa on this day. So I was very impressed with the defensive strategy, especially in the first half. Through the first six possessions, uh, Iowa's possessions ended, and either a punt or the half ended in a fake kneel down, which was kind of weird. And Michigan was up 20 to nothing. It only allowed 91 yards in the first half. And, I mean, this game just seemed to be pretty much over at that point. Like you and I were texting, like, it's insurmountable. So then, you know, 
went a little conservative. They had some points later on, but I was overall very impressed with the defense. You mentioned at the top, the defense stands tall. I love to see the pass rush reemerge there at the end with Ayabi Oki and Mike Morse getting those four consecutive sacks or pressures there to really ice the game. Um, coverage can tighten up things here and there, but overall it was a step forward from the Maryland game. Agreed. A lot of good points in there. Uh, I'll start with a couple of the negatives, and that's uh, giving up first downs when you get into a situation where it's first and 20, second and 20, third and 20. That has now happened in the Maryland and Iowa game. That's something that's got to get cleaned up uh, when you have that much of a cushion. Would love to see the defense get a little bit more aggressive. You got missed tackles here and there. RJ Moten missed interception from DJ Turner that for sure would have put this game away. And we're not even talking about this as potentially like a shaky performance. We're not talking about this as a shaky performance. Some of the national media is talking about this as a shaky performance. Uh, they're not talking about that if DJ Turner gets that pick six. So a couple plays left on the field, but all in all, it's hard to be too discouraged with a lot of like what you said there. You allow only 91 yards of offense in the first half, and the final touchdown takes place with eight seconds left. In between that is essentially dominance. You can kind of gripe if you want about the pass coverage in the third and fourth quarters. Maybe they were playing it a little too soft. Maybe that's just a product of having to cover a bunch of tight ends for, for an entire day. I think there was like only a couple balls completed to a receiver. So it's an interesting offense, if not an effective offense, and a good challenge for this, this defense and the secondary in particular. But when they had to have it, in the, in the very final minutes of this game, this looked like the best defensive line in the country for a couple minutes. Yeah, and again, they held Iowa, I believe, to like a very anemic rushing total. I think it was like 38. I don't have it in front of me. But I believe that was Iowa's lowest in their last like 40 games. And number two and three to round out that list were against Michigan in 2019 and against Michigan last year in the Big Ten Championship. So the defense did what they had to do. Uh, the game to me was very similar to Washington last year, like very similar styles. The, the defensive secondary was a strength. There was a conservative game plan implemented once the Wolverines had the lead. And similarly in the Washington game, the first six possessions for the Huskies all ended in punts. The half ended or it was a fumble. Michigan's up 17-0. Gets a little too conservative. They make The opponent makes some plays, cuts the lead. But eventually Michigan goes on to secure the victory. Great comp game. I love that you are just like a walking encyclopedia and remember these games better than I do, because I just remember that Washington was a game that we played, but I do not remember the details. But that's a great comp game. Um, other mentions on defense, just like some of the guys coming along, like seeing Mason Graham, seeing a Yabe Oki seeing uh, Jimmy Rolder get some snaps, which we'll touch on a little bit more later, seeing some guys come along in this one really encouraging as well and the pass rush is got i mean you just got to be salivating at what it looked like when they had to have it and mike morris just scratching the surface so uh i think defensive uh player of the game on defense uh probably mike morris or mozzie smith yeah yeah, it has to be with the production. Mozzie Smith, again, the catalyst of chaos, man. Everything runs through him. Yabi Oki talked about it in his post-game press conference. Mozzie just does all the dirty work and single-team him at your own risk because that man commands a double-team on every possession. Mozzie the menace, as our boy Jimbo suggested. I kind of like it. Uh, all right, let's move over to the offense. They take a 13 to nothing lead into the half. You and I were saying this is almost insurmountable. 
And at the half, we had a nice conversation, like really kind of trying to say, what is it going to take to win this game? And we're like, if we force a three and out and go right down the field to go up 20 to nothing, it's over. They did just that. They were dominant up to the half, 286 to 47 yards going into the half. Like, I mean, that they the RPO pass to Ronnie Bell was like a really brilliant call. The end around to Ronnie Bell was great. Something we'd seen before. They had the time of possession more than doubled up and the yardage tripled up going into the half. So they were absolutely dominant. Uh, Then like things got a little bit snagnant. You had the low snap McCarthy rolls out trying to do some hero stuff takes uh, throws the ball ends up being a fumble recovered by Donovan Edwards that seemed to set us back also seemed to maybe make the play callers a little skittish where after that it was kind of like all right let's just ride the running game let's just get this W let's not play games here because that was almost a turnover that would have changed the game so uh, outside of that one little hiccup this was a really workmanlike efficient just take what the defense gives you kind of performance from the offense that I was very impressed with I was as well and you're right that play could have been catastrophic and I don't blame the play callers for going very conservative afterwards like you have the lead trust your defense as long as the offense doesn't screw it up then Michigan was going to win the game just like they did and aside from that one play by JJ I thought this was his best game by far he missed the deep ball which is going to stand out but the play that stands out to me is when he was getting baited by Cooper DeGene into the route to Ronnie Bell on the right sideline and instead of putting the ball up he puts it back shoulder and behind him so if Ronnie can like adjust he will make the play but nobody else can that was such a savvy move of reading the coverage and being decisive immediately with the ball. And Joel Klatt pointed out in the broadcast, I thought that showed growth, maturity, and a step forward for McCarthy. Absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about McCarthy here for a second because a lot of people see 18 of 24 for 155, one touchdown. We're like, this is the guy that's going to lead you to the promised land. And they're they're probably surprised when Michigan fans are like, yeah, that was awesome. That's exactly what we needed in that game. We were talking about it all week last week where we're like this is about turnovers this is about being a game manager like that's just how you have to play Iowa at Kinnick you kind of have to play a little bit of their game unless you are so good offensively you can get out to a giant lead and you can still toss it around which we probably could have tossed it around a little bit more there were receivers getting separation but we just wanted to stay on schedule we wanted to dominate time of possession we wanted to avoid turnovers and jj mccarthy doing that in this week like doing what Cade mcnamara did for us last year i think to me was such a sign of growth and a sign of coachability of the player a sign of maturity and there's gonna be opportunities to open this thing up more i mean i think this week we'll get into that later i think this is a great week to start opening things up but this was not the the time to do that against a really good Iowa secondary that's opportunistic and that knows what to do with turnovers. That's how they make their their living is off turnovers. So I don't have enough good things to say about this. Like some of my favorite players were like what you said, like really just heady throwaways and like taking what was there. I mean, the touchdown to Donovan Edwards was JJ doing Jesus McCarthy stuff. So like you saw still a little bit of that, like, oh, yeah, Cade McNamara can't make that play. So this was a well-rounded performance. I agree with you, man. Best performance uh, probably of his career up to this point. 
Absolutely. And it's just, it's the improvement that you hang on. Like that's what you really want to see from him week to week. Yes. The red zone offense can be a little bit better. That's not just on him. Like, there was definitely some points left on the board, but like that throw he made to the, the left boundary to Andrew Anthony, right between the two zones. Those are just elite level throws and not a lot of guys can make. So you still see it there. And man, once that deep ball connects for him mixed with this running game, it's going to be a deadly, deadly offense. That's my takeaway, man, is I saw an offense that's ready to explode, an offense that's just getting its footing. So some people look at that offensive output and are like, man, that was that was shaky. Like they just had enough to win that. I look at an offense that knew what it took to get this W, but has a lot left to show. So uh, players of the game on offense. I mean, I think this has to be Blake Corum, but uh, offensive line again, dominant. Two, I mean, back-to-back weeks, as soon as we've gotten into Big Ten play, this once again looks like a Joe Moore award-worthy offensive line. So I'm just giving it to that whole group. But did you have anyone else? And JJ, of course, as we've just sung his praises. I definitely think it starts with the offensive line. I mean, they are road graders up front, what they were doing in the running game. They were very good in pass pro as well, keeping JJ clean for the most part. Uh, you have to, yeah, you have to shout out JJ with everything we just said, especially being his first career road start at Kinnick. That is so, so difficult. That can't be overstated. And yeah, Blake Corum, man. Most carries in back-to-back games for Wolverine since Fitz Toussaint in 2013. And Corum, I'm kind of convinced he's inhuman. He just like doesn't get tired. He's more powerful than last year. He is just a complete back. Yeah, we have an alien. We have a couple aliens on our team, Blake Corum being one of them. So this was an aw- awesome day by the offense, and uh, I agree with all all the players that we shouted out there. Uh, Let's touch a little bit on special teams and play calling special teams. This was not Brad Robbins best day. Uh, AJ Henning is definitely a weapon that I want to see utilized more, probably more on offense, but on special teams, that guy is not afraid to take chances and make things happen. Uh, We needed Jake the make in this one. He was good in this game gets back into form. So pretty good day all around from the special teams. Although Brad Robbins probably not going to not going to love his effort. Brad, your mustache is too strong to punt that poorly, sir, but I expect him to clean it up. Yeah, absolutely. Now, play calling, that was the one thing we bemoaned last week. I think we were pretty harsh on it, but I mean, fair, just because of how it looked. In this game, it looked immensely better, especially in the first half. Now, that could be things go according to plan. Like that first scripted drive went about as well as a scripted drive could. And you get up early, and that was clearly the the formula for this Iowa team, make them play from behind. And things can look a lot easier when things are working. So I am still interested to see how the play calling looks when things get a little bit tighter, which they will coming up. The, the opponents only get more difficult. But in this game, they really answered a lot of questions. Things looked more in rhythm. I do have some nitpicks, and I think you and I agree. We would have been a little bit more aggressive there in the third and fourth quarters with trying to put this thing away. I would have kept running my offense as I had been running it because it was working. It was very efficient. Um, So got a little bit conservative there when you could have ended this thing on offense, but nitpicking because 27, 14 covering the spread at Kinnick. I'm I'm not going to hate too much. 
No, the first half was nearly flawless, besides from that option play on third down, which just they, the team just looked rusty running it. McCarthy didn't seem comfortable. And yeah, we talked about we would like to have seen them run a little bit more of their offense, some more RPOs or some more zone reads, just be a little more dynamic. But I understand why they did what they did. So I'm not going to like be like harp on that too much. Um, the, man, they just. We talked about it last week, about having film to scout for coaches and play callers. And now they have that. They can finally develop a rhythm and go back and forth and understand like how dogfights are going to go because last week was the first dogfight they'd been in. Like The first three games were not much at all. So now they're understanding. They're getting better. It seemed much more fluent, very connected, and in sync. And I mean, like you said, we'll really see when the chips are down, but this is a sign of progress in the right direction. That's all you can ask for is I want to see it improve. And then defensive play calling. Uh, again, I'd like to see a little more aggression. I kind of mentioned those first and 20s when you get those holding penalties. I would like to see you really put the boot on the throat in those instances, but hard to, to hard to argue with the results. So any gripes that you might have with play calling, I think should be at least pushed to the side this week. Coaching staff really responded. That was great. All right, so we're going to do a little something here. We're not quite halfway through the season, but now we have seen two Big Ten opponents. We've had our first road challenge against a really good, at least a really good atmosphere and a quality opponent. So I want to do three takeaways, just things that you've taken away both from that game and the season up to this point. Uh, They can be as broad or as specific as you want. I'll give you the first one here just to get things going. My first takeaway, and this is pretty much from what I saw against Maryland and Iowa in particular is that this team can win multiple ways and there's a lot left in the bag on offense and there's a lot of development still left in the bag on defense. And that suggests that this team has a ceiling we have not yet seen. I love everybody taking what's given to you both on offense and defense, but I think we're going to start to see the ceiling raised here in the second half of this season. Absolutely. And Harbaugh and several other coaches have touched on this point exactly. That They're excited that they can go into Kinnick and win a game like that, but still have so much on tape to improve upon that they're just, they're fired up to reach that potential. And no one on the team is, to quote Jim, buying their own stuff. Like they see like, hey, we can improve here. We can do this. And DJ Turner told Steve Klinkscale, the uh, secondary coach and co-DC that since he dropped that pick, he owes him two more. So they just have that mentality. You have to imagine the ceiling is super high for this team. But getting into my first one, I'm going to kind of echo that. I'm going to say both sides of the ball have ceilings as high as any team during the hardball era with just a few things to clean up here and there that you touched on, but like the vertical passing game, some fumbles, the pass rush, sometimes a lack of days ago pass coverage and play in the full 60. Like if you see those, you could see as good a team on either side of the ball that we've seen at Michigan since 2015. That is a great take on offense. That is undeniable. Like that is an unassailable take on defense. I would say the ceiling of the 2018 team was as high as any ceiling I could possibly imagine on defense, but I still overall just love the, the overall point you're making with this takeaway. And you're probably not far than like far off of correct, especially with a Yabi Oki and Mike Morris looking like they could potentially be stars. And, you know, we, we always talk or we did always talk about the no star defense. We're starting to see some guys emerge. So I think that that is going to end up being right right now. I would still take the 2018 ceiling as just like stratospheric ceiling. Uh, my second takeaway 
if Jimmy Rolder can emerge as a competent starter and a Yabi Oke continues his progression, this is going to open things up on the defense immeasurably. You had seven snaps for uh, Kalel Mullings and Jimmy Rolder in this game, so he matched Mullings snaps um, in this one. It was Barrett going back up to 42, so you start to see the the actual depth emerge here. We are eventually, I think, getting the Kai Hill Green back. But if you can get Jimmy Rolder in there and he acquitted himself well in this game, that is absolutely huge. So it is a takeaway, just something that I have my eye laser focused on right now. That is great. And you and I were talking about it during the game when he was in there, getting him the reps and get him in big moments, like not garbage time, like a very significant part of the game. Rolder's already getting in there. And you can just see the foundations for the future between Mason Graham, Derek Moore, Jimmy Rolder, Will Johnson, Zeke Barry. Like you see the bones of the future. And it's only going to be beneficial, like in the meantime and in the long term, if they can get these reps now. So, no, that's, I love that take. Uh, my next one is this rushing offense is better and more consistent than last year because last year it's, I mean, everybody remembers Ohio state, but you forget about not being able to run the ball in the second half against Rutgers, kind of struggling at times against Nebraska, getting slowed down against Iowa and Maryland, this rushing offense, the way the offensive line has played the last two games has blown me away. That is a great point. If you go back and look at some of the rushing outputs early in the season last year, it wasn't like it was at the end of the season, as you just mentioned. So it took a while for things to get going. So the fact that things are already up and running like this, you're probably right there. I think that's a great point. Great takeaway. My last one, Mozzie Smith and Olu Oluwatimi have probably been the two best players on the team. They have the inside track for the All-American spots, and they're the actual linchpins. Look, if I were trying to build a competent playoff team that could go in and beat Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, I would start directly in the middle on both lines. That's where you want to build from. And having our best players, arguably, right there in the middle on both sides is really starting to like define what this team is able to do. Um, as far as having the inside tracks for the All-American, I don't know who is challenging Olu right now. I think he is way out in front. Mozzie Smith is battling Jalen Carter of Georgia, who is currently out, and Brian Brise of Clemson, who is currently out. And prayers to him and his family after he lost his sister, by the way. That was a terrible story. But I do think that those guys having the inside track to being all Americans and having that be the linchpin of your team, as much as we talk about the secondary quorum, JJ, I think that that's paying dividends and gives this team a real identity. It's inside out, man. It's the way things are like just done in football. Like you see like seven and seven videos and things like that. And it's all the sexy highlights of the flashy catches, but football games are one in the mud. They're one in the dirty work on the inside. If you can move this guy in front of you, if you can control the line of scrimmage and having two anchors right in the middle on either side of the ball, also going against each other every day in practice with the iron sharpening iron, that mean we're only seeing the beginning of the dividends start to come in for Michigan. And my last one is, I'm going to kind of go off that one as well. Blake Corum is going to be a Heisman finalist. He will be invited to New York. He is currently fourth in the nation in rushing yard, third in power five. He leads the nation in rushing touchdowns. And again, he didn't. Pl- he played four snaps, played four attempts in the second halves of the first three games of the year. Like he's really done this mostly in the first halves there and in the last two games. I think he's only going to get better because I think Blake Corm is a mutant. And yeah, maybe not. I mean, 
He is the fast-tracked All-American, but I'll take it a step further and say Heisman finalist, Blake Corum. Let's go. So our two boldest off-season predictions, you had Mikey Sainra still uh, leading the team in interceptions. I had Donovan Edwards getting Heisman hype around this time. It is, in fact, been Blake Corum. Should have known, go with the starter. Blake Corum, uh, his preparation is so evident, man. Like, we just, it, we are so blessed to have a guy like him. I honestly just get Mike Hart vibes when I watch him run. Some of it is the height, some of it is the determination, but he is athletically and physically more impressive than Mike Hart. So special season incoming for Blake Corum. Uh, love all those points. Great job by you, sir. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, look around the Big Ten, take a little bit of stock of the playoff race. And then we got a new section here. We're going to go believer, non-believer. You try and talk me out of this team. I'll try and talk you into it and vice versa. We got that and more, including the Indiana preview when we get back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, coming back here, second half. Let's take a quick look around the Big Ten. Minnesota, the team that I just finished singing their praises last week, saying this is a real team now, gets beat by Jeff Brom and Purdue, a giant killer, to be fair, but 20-10 to 10 over there. Minnesota with Mo Ibrahim is not the same as Minnesota without Mo Ibrahim. That's all I'll say. And the West is a shambles. <laughs> West is so bad. This was my actual upset pick of the weekend. So thank you to Purdue and Jeff Brom because there's a very like realistic world where they are like, you know, undefeated still. So good glad to see them get this win. I think Minnesota was kind of feeling themselves after what they did to Michigan State, but as you and I know, Michigan State is not what they were last season, so maybe not the win to hang your hat on. And yeah, when Tanner Morgan doesn't have one of the best and oldest backs in the country, struggles a little bit. Absolutely. Penn State Northwestern was a disgusting affair. Uh, my eyes wish that I wouldn't have watched it. I had to clean them out with Clorox afterwards. 17 to 7. They remain undefeated. And like we said in the first half, just peeking around the corner. Uh, that game, though, just crazy weather. Northwestern, we know that they can at least play competent, solid football. So I'm not going to ding Penn State too much. Although the turnovers, it was just ugly, ugly to behold. And I still don't quite know what to make of Penn State, but. You and I are not Franklin believers. I know that much. Two things. One, Northwestern should have won this game. Their defense yeah. did enough for them to win. Penn State just kept giving them the game. And number two, with Penn State and James Franklin, bring them on. I'm I'm ready for it. They do not frighten me. Uh, Rutgers, Ohio State, we kind of mentioned. Uh, Rutgers now, you know, still a competent team, but Ohio State, 49-10 to 10 in that one. Not really much of a challenge. And the Ohio State schedule with Wisconsin looking down is looking all but assured to get them into the playoffs, and especially with how highly they're regarded. They're looking like a team that even if we beat them, they'll still probably get in. Whereas I don't know if we lose to them and win every game that we'll get in just with kind of taking style points into it. Now you can call them scumbag points when you're doing a fake pun up 49 to 10, 
But these do these things do matter at this point in the season, and people are regard, regarding this Ohio State team as one of the best teams in the nation, if not the best team in the nation. A couple things about their schedule. It gets interesting in a few weeks. Uh, Iowa comes to town. They should win that one. But then the week after, they cannot overlook Iowa. The week after, they're going to Penn State, which what should be the whiteout game of the year on Halloween weekend. So that is a massive task for them. They have struggled there in whiteouts before. And also before the game, they go play uh, Turtle Tongue of Iowa. Pronounced it right. Go me. Uh, at Maryland on November 19th, what could be a trap game of trap games there for senior night. So uh, those two games, I'd watch out for them. We're really going to learn more about them. They haven't been on the road yet, haven't played a ranked team yet. So we'll learn more in the next five weeks. Yeah, Penn State, just kind of the troll under the bridge lurking for both programs. This is going to be an outstanding month. Without a doubt, October is the best sports month of the year. So this is this is great stuff coming. Uh, Wanted to kind of look at the playoff picture a little bit now that we've had some decisive outcomes, especially in conference. One game that I had my eye on that I think kind of not kind of I think it absolutely uh, starts to solidify the playoff pictures. Clemson beating NC State 30 to 20 after getting through Wake Forest and NC State. The the rest of Clemson's schedule is absurdly easy, completely manageable for a Clemson team that's improving. So that means they're in the playoff. I'm going to go ahead and put that in there. Like it's probably a 92% chance Clemson is getting in, leaving only three spots with Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State looking like teams that could get in with one loss. So something to keep an eye on, something that uh, I didn't really have any concern for because I'm like, you just got to play your schedule. But if the nightmare scenario of us winning every game but Ohio State happens, uh, this this definitely hurts our efforts to get in in that scenario yeah i'm not as high on clemson as you know you and i talked about i think Davo's a dirt bag and i don't trust d down the stretch and the game i pointed to here was at notre dame november 5th at night that's notre dame super bowl a chance to really just spark meaning into this season and what it is for marcus freeman a huge win a good chance for them especially a week after they're going to play a syracuse team that is currently ranked so they could sneak up on them a little bit and yeah I don't trust the bones of that organization right now, so I'm not sweating them too much yet. I love that you're just like, nah, they're not in. Dabo's a dirtbag, and that's I'm like, <laughs> I've heard enough. Compelling argument. I mean, honestly, it is. He is a dirtbag. I don't necessarily like the program. I like Brian Brise. I don't hate DJ Uyagale. Um, I I probably did not. So that's a tough one. But I don't I don't dislike them. <laughs> it's definitely not that. Uh, but I don't dislike them. Like you, know, I like them more than USC, a team that I don't believe and I think will suffer a loss before the playoffs really, um, you know, kick into gear. And we're trying to sort this thing out. But it's something worth watching. I mean, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, those are the teams that we need to have eyes on. So, and I guess USC and Oklahoma State too is another team that bears watching. I mean, if they have one loss and win the conference championship, they also are going to have a really compelling case. So I'm keeping my eye on it, but uh, it's too early. It's too early to make proclamations. We just got to handle Indiana, which we'll get to in a minute. Before we get to Indiana, wanted to do a little game with you. Uh, you and I are always kind of trying to take both sides a little bit to try just for more compelling podcast material, but also to try to see what a detractor of the Michigan program might think. If you're, uh, say, a fan of Clemson, who we were just talking about, and you want to argue why Clemson is definitely a better team than Michigan, 
what would your viewpoint be? So we're going to do believer and non-believer. We're going to talk each other in and out of this team. We're just doing offense and defense at this point. Um, We'll probably open this up to special teams and play calling at some point. But for now, let's go on the offense. And on offense, we're going to go non-believers go first. Believers go second. We are always fans of Optimist. You get the, the person trying to talk you into it gets the last word. So if you're ready, I'm going to talk you out of the offense. The non-believer stance on the Michigan offense. Before you begin, I would like to say that I believe we have a, a half crab, half wolf overlord wearing a pantsuit that controls the whole world more than I believe in USC making the college football playoff. Continue. Well, that's a real thing that actually happens. <laughs> so, I mean, it makes sense that that's who's pulling the strings. But all right. The non-believer on offense. And uh, I'd like to throw in an asterisk, put this in parentheses, whatever you want to do. This is not how I feel. This is just me taking a position. I'm an actor for the next minute and a half. All right. The reason that this Michigan offense is not to be trusted, there's a myriad of reasons. And it starts with. 59 carries for Blake Corum over the last two weeks. That is a gigantic workload for a player that's 5'8", generously. Uh, A very fit 5'8", but he cannot handle that workload. He had injury concerns last year. Donovan Edwards has missed time. We don't know what we can get from Donovan Edwards on a full season. And behind that, things look really dicey. And for a team that is clearly built to run the football, that's what they want to do. They want to control the clock. They want to run the football. They want to bleed the air out of this game. That is concerning moving forward. The second concern would be that J.J. McCarthy has yet to develop a rhythm with his receivers. He is fine on short throws. I mean, I can't deny the completion percentage, but he has yet to hit a meaningful deep ball in a meaningful Big Ten game. I think he's 0 for 5 on deep balls in Big Ten games. And we don't know if that's going to develop. We don't know if the turnover issues are going to resurface. The games only get get more difficult from here. What happens when he takes a hit? The depth behind him with Cade McNamara out is also really, really concerning. He's one. We're one hit away from this team being absolutely cratered. Um, I, I buy. We'll say some of the the playmakers on this team, but I don't know that there's a number one playmaker. Um, Roman Wilson could be that, but they can't get him the ball. So there is my reason to not believe in this Michigan offense, sir. Your rebuttal. And please rebuttal me because I hated saying that. (laughs) Like a true blue blood fan that you are, I understand. All right, let's dive in here. Why I believe in this Michigan offense, it starts with the one group you didn't mention, the heart and soul of the team, the offensive line. If you can control the line of scrimmage, you are going to be in 99 out of 100 games, if not winning those games. You establish your will in the trenches behind, as you mentioned, All-American Olu Oluwatimi in the center, a veteran group that has looked like the best of the 21st century so far in the last two games. Behind that, everything else becomes easier. Quorum's going to be taking less hits. We do hope his workload lightens because, as you alluded to, 59 touches is a lot. I'm not overly concerned about the injuries, though. Last year was just a high ankle sprain, just kind of rolled up on nothing long-term, nothing wear and tear on him, very durable back. And the, the lanes the offensive line is creating for him are very easy places to run, not very gritty yards at times, not very unsafe yards, if you will. So I feel very comfortable with that. Edwards is getting healthy, so he's going to help balance out the rushing attack. J.J. McCarthy is improving week in and week out. If he just plays like he did against Iowa, 
It's as good as Cade McNamara was last year. He's making the right decisions with the football, but more importantly, we're seeing him get closer to his ceiling. The deep ball's not there yet, but it's inch closer from Maryland. There's been less fumbles. There was one more, but there wasn't two. He's growing. This was his first career road start. He's only going to get better from this moment forward. And the playmakers... Roman Wilson flashed early. Andrew Anthony's getting more touches. A.J. Henning has yet to be unleashed because why put this stuff on game tape when you don't need to against an Iowa defense that you can just line up and run zone against? It's worked well, so there's no reason to flash all your toys right now. You want to show a little bit here and a little bit there, and then you can build into it. Ronnie Bell has come on the last couple of games with a few touchdowns, so I'm very confident in the position group as a whole, and I think a lot of attention has been paid to the no-star defense. I think it could be a no-star skill group where everybody rises up, and where rising tide raises all ships, and I think that's what the offensive line does to this group. I have no idea how the point system works in this exercise as we just made it up. We're going to go on Academy Award rules, which are no rules whatsoever. I'm going to give you the win there. You made several great points. Great uh, job having the exact injury ready for what happened to Blake Corum last year, providing facts to back that up. I really enjoyed that. Uh, the no star offense as well gets you a couple points there i really like that the jj mccarthy points about what he did against iowa being as good as anything Cade mcnamara did last year is a tremendous point and i agree and i also just want to believe in the believer so i'm giving you this one well done sir uh before we go any further the believer and the non-believer is brought to you by manscaped let's take a quick sponsor break support for this episode is brought to you by manscaped I myself like to keep myself as well manicured as a topiary at Buckingham Palace, but I know there are way too many of my brothers out there who have let your nether regions bloom into some type of unkempt, woolly forest of despair. For the sake of your confidence, for the sake of your comfort, for the sake of decency among men, you need to be giving your private parts the attention they deserve, and that's why Manscaped would like to present the Platinum Package 4.0. With this glorious package, you can align your entire hygiene routine all in one swoop. Inside the 10-part Platinum Package, everything you know and love about Performance Package, plus some shower goodies that will elevate your grooming game. Got the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer, Weed Whacker Nose, Ear Hair Trimmer, Proprietary Advanced Skin Safe Technology, Protect Your Delicate Parts, Waterproof so you can keep scaping even when the weather's changing. In addition to shaving, you can now completely upgrade your shower routine with the Ultra Premium Body Wash, 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner. Look, for me, the best part about the Platinum Package is you start to get into a routine, you start to figure out your preferences, start to figure out how you like the shape, the trim of the bush, you're going to see your confidence rise. And that's what Manscaped Platinum Package can offer for you. Get the Platinum Package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. Go to Manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com when you use the code MNB20. Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine, boys. All right, coming back. It is time to go to the defense, sir. You are the non-believer here. Talk me out of the defense. You know I'm going to hate this because you know how much of an eternal optimist I, I am. I get it. I just did it. All right. So I don't believe in this defense for several reasons. One, the pass rush is non-existent. It can't come alive until the end of the game. They're still rotating players in and out. They're getting shelled up and man-to-man blocks. They can't shed them. 
And that's the first of my concerns against the passing offense, especially looking ahead to teams like Ohio State, who are going to throw the ball about 50 times a game to a numerous amounts of athletes. And you have to have pass rush to disrupt them or the elite teams in college football. Inside, I am concerned about the running game holding up an outside zone, especially it seems like Iowa, and they were getting like movement with the ball late. Sure, the defense can hold up early on, but anybody's in a fight for 30 minutes in college football. Can you sustain it for the full 60? I just don't think they can. I don't know if they have enough bodies in there that can. Junior Colson is an all-American caliber linebacker. I truly believe that. But next to him, I am, am I comfortable in Michael Barrett doing this? Where's Nakai Hill Green? We're going to have Kaleo Mullings filling gaps against Mayan Williams and the other teams down the stretch against Penn State's rushing attack. Are they going to fill the lanes? And in the secondary, they're running very similar coverage as the last year, they're, except they're just doing them worse. They're not tight in their zones. They're getting lackadaisical at times. They've given up a passing drive at the end of each of the last two games, and one was to a backup quarterback at Maryland. I'm very concerned what's going to happen. We go against an outstanding passing team like Ohio State, like some of the other teams in the conference that can really move the ball in a couple different ways without the steady pass rush, without the depth of linebacker, and with corners and safeties who tend to fall asleep. I hated saying all of that. I'm sure that you did. I hated listening to all of that, but a lot of good points were brought up in there. I think you really came uh, with your homework here. You came prepared. I'll start with your first point in the pass rush being non-existent, which I just flat out disagree with. The pass rush has been there when it needed to be there, which you can go back to last year. When we needed to have it, the first game that we needed a pass rush was against Washington, where Aiden Hutchinson had two and a half sacks. This was the first game where we had to have it. And Maryland, you know, you could argue that as well. But there was a good pass rush against Maryland. They weren't necessarily getting home mobile quarterbacks in this game, not a mobile quarterback, two sacks, three sacks to end it, two sacks from Mike Morris, who is now catching up to the Aiden Hutchinson pace as a team. We're ahead of the pace that we were sack wise and pressure wise last year up to this point. So I'm going to go ahead and dismiss that. Your second point about the run defense after we just held Iowa to 35 yards rushing seems a bit premature. I understand what you're saying about zone run schemes and when we have to get the these run defenders involved. But if there's one thing Junior Colson can do, that is defend against the run. That is not an, an area where I'm concerned with him. If I'm concerned with him, it's in the pass game where he just allowed six of seven completions to a tight end. Run defense, I think, should be fine. Nikai Hill Green should be coming back here soon. That's only going to help. Michael Barrett is coming on. I like what I've seen from him. Jimmy Rolder's snaps are only going to increase. Run defense, not a concern for me. And then on the back end, you've got stars everywhere. But a point that you didn't make that I want to make is this is a tested defense. So some of the things that you were saying about allowing those drives, this is a playoff defense. This is a team that has been in much bigger games than on the road at Kinnick. They have played Iowa in a Big Ten championship. They have played Georgia in a playoff game. They know that you don't necessarily have to have it every drive. You have to have it on the drives that count. It's more like how a NBA team with LeBron James will coast during the regular season. That's what you're seeing in those plays. They know that they don't have to have it because when they need to have it, this is not a no-star defense. This is a several-star defense that I think has three, count it, three first-rounders on it. In Mozzie Smith, Mike Morris, and DJ Turner, I think that you have one All-American, potentially two. I think you have four or five first-team All-Big Ten players on this defense. I see the bones of a championship defense that has only scratched the surface. I see players like a Yabi Oki, 
that are just now learning how to play the position. He probably doesn't even know all the terminology yet. And he looks like one of the best pass rushers on this team. Um, and I think that the secondary, we haven't seen their best game yet. So a lot of good points made by you, but I think that the, the recent history, especially very recent history against Iowa <clears throat> suggests a, a defense with the arrow pointing upwards. Well, well done. And again, yes, you were. Some of my points were pretty shallow. You ripped them apart, as you should have, because they were wrong. And the best point you made of all of them, or there were two actually, was battle tested. I love that because that's exactly what they are. There's too much experience, too much know how, too many just like film rats. Like we didn't mention Rod Moore yet, but you and I were talking. He's the smartest person on the field pretty much every time he's on the football field. The way he diagnoses, changes coverages, and is helping people out. With Rod Moore back there, I feel good about everything. And the other one was the defense is there when it needs to be. It doesn't have to be there every play. Like Sometimes, guess what? Against good teams, you're going to give up some yards. It's just going to happen. There might be a miscue here, a miscue there. That's going to happen. But just like me as a lover, I'm not going to be there every day when you need it. But like Valentine's Day, birthdays, anniversaries, baby, I'm there. I mean, weekends, <laughs> holidays, special days, count on him. But on an idle Tuesday – Look, it's an idle Tuesday. It was raining. I had other things on my mind. I understand it, sir. Uh, great <laughs> analogy. Great points made there. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of the guys on this defense were just playing kind of supplemental roles there. I mean, Mozzie Smith, obviously a starter. Colson, a starter last year. Green and Turner were starters. But just being around that championship environment, I think this team has a mentality that we frankly, definitely since we've been covering it and since we've been watching, we haven't covered a Big Ten championship team. I mean, I haven't really followed it closely since we've been the the reigning Big Ten champs. And that championship DNA, I'm starting to see it on the defense. Um, so to wrap this up, are you more of a believer in the offense or the defense? S&P has us almost dead even. Our offense is as good as our defense, according to the S&P. Which are you more confident in right now? I think I'm more confident in the offense just slightly because of the Blake Corm factor there. Like he opens up so much. And again, if J.J. McCarthy hits one deep ball a game, where's the flaw? I'm with you, but it is tight. And I like me being a defensive guy through and through. I am really just nipping at the bit, trying to put the defense above the offense here. But JJ showed me enough. I mean, I love your point about that. What we saw at Iowa was as good as what we saw from Kate at any point last year. So I agree. I think we're like on offense. We're a better rush. I mean, we're probably just. You know, it goes into that championship DNA thing. We're further ahead. We know who we are. We know who our guys are. We know what a successful game plan looks like. And that's showing with this team and it's showing on offense and now defense. So uh, you also had another point off air. And one of my favorite qualities about you, enjoy the good times. We are 5-0. and We are a top five team. If you don't stop and look around a little bit, smell the roses, you're, you're never going to appreciate it during the dark times. It's like if you're watching Goodfellas, if you can't appreciate the first hour, then, you know, you're just lamenting that second hour. Like what? You're not enjoying that movie properly. Like it's about the, the highs and the lows and enjoy the highs. Harbaugh had a great quote this week. He said, we are chasing perfection that we're never going to get, but hopefully we can obtain excellence. <sighs> that doesn't really mean anything and yet I love every second of it. 
Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's just like when he said the finest hour. Like every now and then, like in between, like his goofy Harbaughisms, which we both love. That's like he'll have a quote like that that just cuts through you, and you're like, I feel like I can do anything now. Well, I mean, for guys like you and I who like read a lot of like history and stuff and watch a lot of movies, like if he's quoting Churchill or something, just that halftime, you and I are probably going to be like, "Where's the closest wall? I need one real quick." Don't ask me questions like we would be all in as Harbaugh guys. I, I know that for a fact. Yeah, it's not surprising to me. He was able to change the culture like he was by empowering the team uh, last year. But yeah, but you have him in the locker room saying stuff like that, like before the Iowa game saying it's a great day to have a great day. Just simple stuff like that, but says it with such conviction. You believe anything he's selling you. I'm going to start saying little things like that that mean absolutely nothing. Like, all right, how's everyone doing? Great day to have a great day. Like, it's very dad energy, and no one exudes it better than Jim Harbaugh. All right, sir, let's get into this next game. We are going to Bloomington at Indiana. Uh, They're coming off a loss to Nebraska. That's unfortunate. And a loss where Nebraska outrushed them 115-67, to held them to 2 of 15 on third down. They started out the season beating Illinois, which looks like it's probably going to be their best win. What are your initial thoughts on this Indiana team and this matchup in particular? Uh, And what are your thoughts on this as a trap game? Boy, do they throw the ball a lot. Uh, starting quarterback Connor uh, Basilak, Basilak aver- averages 49 pass attempts per game. His highest was 66. I don't know if I've ever seen that in the Big Ten against Cincinnati. Uh, he only really throws to one guy. It's Cam Camper on the outside. He's 220 yards clear of their second receiver, doubled him up in uh, receptions as well. It's a very two-man offense. Not a lot going on on the offensive line. And just all those two players running things. It's very strange to watch. It's like you don't see teams like this bare bones at times. I mean, if this was seven on seven, they would tear some people up with this matchup. And defensively, they're really built like Michigan State last year. They get a lot of uh, pressure up front, wreak a lot of havoc, a lot of sacks, a lot of TFLs. Uh, But the secondary is porous. There's not a lot there. But while I say they're similar to Michigan State last year, they're not very stout against the run. Uh, Illinois and Chase Brown ran all over them in the game despite the loss because of some costly fumbles. So this is a, a weird team that has its like high notes, but every high note has a caveat. Like it's one guy doing it here, or it's this defensive pass rush that's good at one thing but terrible at something else. So it's a very flawed team. Yeah, a team that, comes in and says we want to pass the ball all over you and their quarterback is completing uh, at a 52 percent clip he has eight touchdowns and five interceptions that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence as you know we're some sort of vaunted passing attack uh connor basilak the transfer coming over after they lost phoenix to washington uh i mean this is a team that's just replacing a ton new offensive coordinator new defensive coordinator new quarterback new running backs new wide receivers new starting middle linebacker they lost 12 players to the transfer portal so they're kind of trying to figure out who they are honestly they've acquitted themselves well i mean you and i think tom mallon may be in the running for the corniest individual of all time but i mean he probably can coach a decent football team terrible at a barbecue terrible at a barbecue hangout points are as low as anybody that like maybe it, him or Mussolini better hang out I don't know it, it, it's really bad for Tom Allen the dude but he can coach a decent football team so they're competent enough that you can't sleepwalk through this but I'm not buying trap game 
you know, it's a 22 and a half point spread for a reason. And Indiana losing to Nebraska, really, really tough look. That's their most recent game. And I don't trust their defense at all. This is one of the worst passing defenses, one of the worst overall defenses. We're talking bottom 30% for overall defenses, according to S&P and just NCAA statistics. So they don't match. This is a bad matchup for them, I would say. It's a very bad matchup, man. If you just go back to last year, even they had players like Peyton Hendershot on offense uh, against Michigan in the ultimate trap game last year, coming off of the loss to Michigan State. Blake Corm's first carry against Andy, Indiana last year is when he has the high ankle sprain. And then we're ultimately just thinking the worst. Like it feels like everything's going downhill. That Indiana team only passed for 88 yards and had 195 total as Michigan just bulldozed them 29-7, to largely on the back of Hassan Haskins. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. You saw how Blake Corbett, what he did to Maryland, his hometown team where he did not, he's never played against them, and he hasn't played against Indiana yet the, like, recently. I mean, 2020, we don't count that because everything. But he has not had a clean shot at Indiana, so now he's going to get his opportunity, get a little revenge for what happened last year. And the way this team is preparing about improvement, constantly harping on that word, I don't think it's a trap game. Indiana always plays Michigan a little bit tough in these games, uglies it up. So I do not, I'm not buying it as well. Yeah, trap game. Now, Illinois, that might be a trap game. Let's see how the rest of their season goes. But for this one, I'm not there. Um, Look, Michigan's secondary at this point is number seven in the nation in yards per completion, allowing 5.37. Indiana is allowing 12.7 yards per completion. This is the game where you absolutely get the passing game going. It is time to get this this attack going. We mentioned several times in this podcast that we saw the beginnings of an identity. We saw the bones of a really good offense. It's time to get that going this week. I also said to you off air, 12 is my number. I don't want to see more than 12 carries for Blake Corum in this game. Uh, AJ Henning as a running back. Great time for that. Donovan Edwards. Let's get you back into things. CJ Stokes. Let's go ahead and uh, reestablish some confidence, my guy. And again, the passing attack. This is the game. If you can get out to a 21 nothing lead in this game and coast, There's never been a better game for that. Get your guys a little bit rested up, get a win, get your offense, especially the passing attack into a rhythm, get pass blocking situated for Penn State. This is a wonderful opportunity. It lines up very well being right before Penn State, I think. Yes, I want to see quorum under 20. I mean, because I love the meme where the guy's sweating over two buttons and it's like, let JJ cook. And it's like quorum Heisman run. So I definitely feel intermixed with that. But I think you establish the run early and then you really let JJ get into a rhythm, hit those deep shots. Because to your point, this secondary is the one to really build up your confidence before Penn State. Get Edwards in there. I don't want to see Handing run the ball yet. I want to save that package for games that really matter. But this could be a big Donovan Edwards game. And I'm actually going to say that's going to be my bold prediction this week. Donovan Edwards is going to lead this team in rushing yards because they want to preserve the best quorum for longevity and for Penn State. Well, I mean, that's kind of what I was trying to harp on. And I I mean, it is a real concern with what I said in the believer, non-believer segment about the amount of carries that quorum has had. That is a real thing. Like that is something that I've got my eye on. Hence why I said the number 12 there. So this definitely should be an Edwards game, but like, I'm so worried, I guess maybe just in my old age, I just get nervous. Like these are my children. I want them both 
to just kind of sit out this game. To me, this is a three game season now. It's Michigan State, it's Penn State, Ohio State. And then these other games, it's how do you not lose? That's how I'm looking at it. So this is a just don't lose game. So I I mean, you got to be more aggressive than that. And we were just lamenting the non-aggressive nature at times against Iowa. So you can't go in with that mentality and just be like, let's not lose, guys. No, you've got to go in there and try and win it. You've got to play your players. But Corum especially, I'm totally with you. Under 20, I would like under 12. I would love it if we could get a lead early, which you definitely could do against the secondary. They're giving up a first down every time there's a completion. I mean, it is it is definitely possible to complete passes on this secondary, whereas last week when we're doing the film breakdown watching Iowa, we're just like, I wouldn't challenge Riley Moss and Cooper DeGene more than I had to. I'd challenge these cornerbacks. Absolutely. And this is when you can get Roman Wilson working back into the fold, even get McCarthy running the ball a little bit because he's been so smart when he does run about avoiding contact and getting down, which is just a blessing to see. And yeah, man, this is just a great opportunity for the offense to really start cooking and as well for the defense to, you know, sure up the pass rush, put pressure on this young quarterback, sure up those zones, make sure they're tighter. Guys aren't beating you in the middle because, you know, you make a mistake here, make a mistake there against a guy that's thrown the ball 66 times. One of them might stick and you could find yourself in a game. Absolutely, man. So you said your player of the game on offense already. You went Donovan Edwards. I'm going to go Ronnie Bell. So uh, let's move over to the defense. What do we need to do? They do have the running back, Sean Shivers, that they're going to try to establish, who sounds like a character out of an R.L. Stein novel in 1994. But I think Jalen Lucas might be the more talented runner. But this is not a vaunted rushing attack. Um, how do you see this going down uh, for the defense? And who's your defensive player of the game? Uh, yeah, defensively, I mean, it's going to be about stopping the pass. I don't think they're going to need to like uh, explicitly designate a lot of bodies to shutting down the running attack. Jalen Lucas is more talented. He's also returning more returning kicks for them now as well, so they're going to look to get him a lot of touches. And it's going to be the secondary. It's going to be about creating turnovers and just deterring them and keeping them off schedule. So it's going to be really tight zones because Tom Allen's going to be running crossers and things here and there. I mean, as much as you and I – like to compare him to 20th century fascists. Like, you know, he can draw up a play or two every now and again. So I think it's going to be big on the secondary to be zone discipline when they're in those coverages. And for player of the game, man, I got I to gotta double down now. I got to double down on Mikey Sainer still going to be player of the game here. I think he gets an interception that counts because for whatever reason, two-point conversion picks don't count, which is just a crazy loophole. Very dumb. So Mikey Sainer still player of the game, holds it down in the zone and in the nickel. All right. If we're just uh, here to push our agendas, I'm going Makari Page then. He matched RJ Moten in snaps against Iowa. He's really coming on. So somebody's getting a pick in this one. We only have six turnovers on the year. Pretty middle of the pack. We need to get those numbers up. Um, I mean, every time there's like, oh, that was almost an interception. Those things add up. I think the team leading the country, USC, is tied with 15. We have six takeaways. Got to get the takeaways. This is a game for that. So uh, I'm going to stay in the secondary. I want to double down with Turner, but I'm going to go Page. Both my guys. I got a lot of guys in the secondary. Anybody in the secondary being the player of the game, even though it's probably going to be Mozzie or Mike Morris. But you, you got to go with it. Uh, let's get some score predictions, sir. Okay, so I really do think Michigan, like, it could be 
maybe a little tight early, maybe like a 7-7 game. I think they could you know, get one on the board, and but I do think the way Michigan has scripted their play, especially last week, will get on the board early as well. I think it's just going to be too overwhelming on the ground, through the air. Just Indiana has too many flaws, too many new pieces. It's just not a cohesive unit. Uh, I, I don't trust what they're doing. They run a lot of different looks on defense, but none of them are really effective, Like so they can't really rely on that. Their base is very rarely used. So I'm going to go Michigan here pretty big. I think they're going to open this one back up, but Indiana will put some points on the board going 41-17. We see this so similar, man, and we've been pretty close all year. I mean, even our Iowa predictions, I think our guest picker last week, I think Logan actually had the closest prediction last week, but we were pretty close on that one last week uh, for the most part, pretty, pretty lockstep. And I see this one very similarly Uh, as much as I don't want this to be a rely on quorum game. I still think this is going to be a big quorum game then leading into Edwards Stokes and, and the passing game will open up. I think JJ goes for over 200 yards. Like I said, I think Ronnie bell is the recipient there on a lot of those. So he's my choice for player of the game. Maybe he gets a couple touchdowns in there and yeah, I mean, you're just going to want to, Get ahead if you can wear them down. I think it is going to be closer. The 22 and a half point spread is a little rich for my blood, especially since Maryland absolutely destroyed me. I'm waiting for a line that I really like this one. I don't quite like in Bloomington, which is surprisingly loud. I think on the broadcast, everyone's going to be a little surprised with how Bloomington can be at times. It's it's small stadium, but they bring the noise. It's like right on top of you there. So I'll go. Uh. 38-17, almost the same way you see it, but that would just just be under the cover there. So, yeah, I would be a little bit cautious on it. This one could go either way. They could want to really ramp up going into Penn State, or this could be a, like we mentioned before, playoff team mentality, escape with the win and move on, be healthy going into Penn State. Yeah, I could easily see it becoming like not hopefully not as tight, but like the Nebraska type game last year, just all about winning. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Uh, one last question for you, sir. We've talked about improvement all podcast. What are one improvement offensively and defensively you want to see from Michigan in this game? The offensive one's a cop out. It has to be the deep balls. Any other answer? I mean, it's not even necessarily deep balls like the intermediate throws. There was one intermediate pass to Andrew Anthony that was absolutely money. The pass to Ronnie Bell, the prior week against Maryland could be considered intermediate as well. That deep to intermediate, you can explore that zone as well, but then also getting those deep shots together. So it's just that rhythm on the deeper throws 15 yards and beyond with JJ and the receivers. If we improve upon that, then look out, man, like this, this could be the best Michigan team ever, literally ever like that. That is the ceiling of this team. And on defense improvement has to be linebackers in coverage. Junior Colson was never really billed as a, like a pass defender as a linebacker. Very few linebackers are, which is one of the, I'm not going to go on like a whole diatribe here, but one of the negatives of the the open offense and like the 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 movement towards the the heavy open passing offenses versus the the hard nose running offenses of years past is that linebackers are left hanging out to dry a lot, and Junior Colson's been in that position a lot. But they've got to get better against passes. That was a long winded to say, like they've got to get better in their pass defense, getting a Kai Hill green back. If it's j- getting Jimmy Rolder more involved, getting him the snaps, whatever that may be, uh, Ohio State will eat you up if your linebackers can't cover a little better. How about you, sir? 
for the sake of parity, I'll go a little bit different offensively. I don't want to see a fumble in this game. We've seen him the last couple weeks. I don't want to see the ball touch the ground one time. I want it to be nice and clean. And defensively, uh, we'll go back to the pass rush. Like It doesn't need to be disruptive or havoc wreaking every play, but I just want to see consistent pressure make this this first-year starting quarterback at Indiana really kind of just struggle. Make him uncomfortable. Like I want to see a a Mozzie Smith uh, continue with his pressure, but I really want to see it from the edge. I want to see Harrell keep it up. I want to see Morris and maybe some more Oki throughout the game. So sprinkle that in to see if that can keep things going. Like I don't need havoc every play, but I just like knowing it's there. Like how Hutchinson and Ojabo last year would just move up. And then if the quarterback steps or they can make the play, really set that edge there is all I need to see in this one to make me feel better going forward. Yeah, the casual viewer doesn't realize how impactful a quarterback hit and a quarterback pressure is. I mean, we're just kind of ingrained as viewers and watchers of the game to look for the sacks and look for the stats. But every time you're hitting a quarterback, that is a winning play. If you can do that without drawing a flag, and we have hit the quarterback quite a bit. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I would guess we're in the top 10 in the nation in quarterback hits. So putting this quarterback in an uncomfortable position, Connor Bazalak, in an uncomfortable position. And Mike Morris does seem to have the uh, propensity to absolutely demolish people. That is 290 pounds. That is six, seven falling on top of you. So like that guy hitting you repeatedly is about as impactful as a thing as I can imagine. I mean, it's, would you rather fight Mike Morris in a phone booth or a a hippopotamus? If you were armed with a javelin, I mean, it's a fair question. (laughs) Uh, I think Mike Morris might be hungrier, so I think I'm going to go with the hippopotamus. <laughs> you take the hippo 10, 10 times out of 10. So, yeah, man, this is this is going to be a, another great game, man. Just, I mean, I know for you and I and for diehard Michigan fans, every game we're just tuned in, locked in, a lot to learn. But this game falling in between Iowa and Penn State is just another building block. And I expect to see, again, one of the better performances from this Michigan team. I think the arrow will again trend upward after this week. These are the good times, my friend. Enjoy them while they're here because they will not last forever. We'll always go through the ups and downs. And also, one quick plug, Michigan hockey official season kicks off this weekend, Friday and Saturday at home against Lindenwood. Should be pushovers, so make sure you tune in that and support the 2022 hockey team. Absolutely. Well said, my man. And to your first point, always enjoy the good times. Enjoy the times at the Copacabana introducing all your friends, because before you know it, the cops will be circling overhead and you're going to have to convince that uh, dickhead brother of yours to keep stirring the sauce. That is just the way things go. But these are the good times. And this was a good time recording this with you, my friend. Looking forward to next week. And we will be previewing what we expect to be an undefeated bout against Penn State next week. So, man, as excited as we were for this one, I think next week you're going to probably have to spray some settled down juice on me before we get in front of the mic. So really looking forward to that one, too. Let the James Franklin hate boil. Let's go. Let it flow through you. All right, that's going to do it for us on Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter, at Maze and Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.